0: This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by PowerSwap. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, Bitcoin's brilliant people, those who really understand where we came from, where we're, where we are right now, and where we're going. Because if we can truly understand all of that, hey, we can trade off that. We can make money off that. We can create more financial sovereignty for ourselves and our families. I mean, I was just thinking uh, this morning, actually, uh, where would I be without Bitcoin in the last 10 years, in the last decade? Bitcoin and and the larger crypto economy has given my family, but also millions of others, economic and financial independence. Well, today, I'm very excited. We're going to talk to an awesome guy lives down here in Florida with me. And, uh, hopefully we get to meet up soon, Eric Weiss, Eric, thank you for s- so much for coming on untold stories today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey man. It's great because when Florida people come on the show, their backgrounds are real where it's yeah. like, when so- when it's, so- <laughs> not a, it's not
1: like uh, it's not one of those like, you know, green screen drops.
0: I had, um, Oh, I forgot his name. I had the CEO of uphold on the show and he had in the background. It was like a rancher. It was, it was a beautiful like covered porch with wood and beautiful timber, high definition lit. It was yeah. like lighted. He had cows walking <laughs> in the back and I'm like, Dude, that, where did you get that screensaver? He said, Charlie, no, I'm in Argentina. This is real. Yeah. So cool.
1: I had the same thing. I, I did a call with a potential investor in uh, Singapore and he was sitting outside at his house and there were literally like monkeys crawling <laughs> around all over the place. I was like, I was so preoccupied with the monkeys. I kept bringing him up. He kept trying to ask questions about Bitcoin. I'm like, yeah, but dude, like, look at the monkey, right? <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. But but we have good backgrounds here. Yeah. It's a nice place to live, Florida.
0: It, it recently has become, over the last five years, it seems like uh, Florida is a place where you can not only talk about what we're doing, but it's, it's, there's a full understanding of it. And I think that the way that it was, if you talk to the older generation, they're very libertarian, but not by name. Like if you talk to, mm-hmm. you know, Democrat or Republican across the spectrum in Florida, I've noticed it doesn't matter where they fall. A lot of times it comes to like social and progressive issues. But when it comes to, to money and long term economics, I've noticed the people down here because they've had to build their own net worth, they've had to like build it. And then they move down here to, be able to enjoy that quality of life. They understand how important it is to protect that. Whereas a lot of people who don't have anything yet, we don't make the decisions now to protect ourselves in the future. And so that's why I actually ask people to listen to Untold Stories, to get involved in, in Bitcoin and crypto. But And today, uh, we'll talk about a lot of those subjects. I just want to give a brief bio. Um, Eric, you had the team at the Blockchain Investment Group, the big fund, B-I-G, is, it's very well known in, the, in, in our industry. Your background is very uniquely suited to have like evaluating these investments and um, in hedge funds with a focus on blockchain assets. Prior to forming BIG, you had a career as a bond trader, a technology venture capitalist and entrepreneur. You started your career as a bond trader at Morgan Stanley, um, earned your MBA at Columbia Business School, and you were the director of private equity and venture capital at GE Capital, eventually working at, at ICG uh, when you were making some investments over there. So you've, you've been around the block when it comes to private equity and venture capital you fully understand like, where, where what we're doing actually fits into the larger picture of like where the world is going. And I kind of want to go down that road and talk about that a little bit. Yeah. What I didn't know was actually, you were, the, you were the person who orange-pilled Michael Saylor. Michael Saylor buys Bitcoin every freaking week. MicroStrategy. Yeah. I want to know what you said. I want to know how all that conversation came to be because when I saw that, I remember saying to myself, who talked to him? Who? What was it? Roger Veer? Because that's Roger was the one who used to go out. <laughs> so tell me how. Tell us all how it all came to be.
1: Sure. So uh, Michael is uh, one of my closest friends. We've been friends for more than twenty years, and um, we we talk about lots of investment related stuff, technology related stuff. Um, as the world now knows, Michael is incredibly intelligent. Um, i I've, like yourself, I've met a lot of smart people in my life, but Michael is, you know, by far the the most intelligent person I, I've I've met. Um, and I got into Bitcoin. I bought my first Bitcoin in uh, December, two thousand thirteen. Um, oh, wow! After attending a conference, a Bitcoin conference, uh, coincidentally down here in Miami. I wasn't living here at the time. Was and, I at that um, conference? Yeah, I think you were actually. That's
0: probably, that's insane. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I think you were. Um, and it was like, those were the days when everybody had a t-shirt on that, like walking around with like, I'll help you set up your wallet kind of thing was like the big thing. And um, so, yeah, I kind of got into it um, then. And, uh, you know, it's only now that I realized clearly why it was so appealing to me. As you kind of mentioned at the top, like I, I had a little bit of a career in, in um, internet venture capital. Uh, really wasn't technology. It was more just internet related VC. And the internet was really good for transmitting data around the world. Um, and when I saw Bitcoin, it was the first time that I saw that you could transmit value. And I didn't really like I knew there was something special because, you know, those were the days when people were petrified to put their credit card into, you know, a browser or something. It's just we knew that the internet wasn't secure. And this was like a secure way to transmit value, where party A didn't need to know party B, um, but anyway, back to, to Sailor. so um, you know, when I started mentioning Bitcoin um, around Mike it it wasn't something that he was uh, supportive of. you know he kind of you know told me in, in some pretty strong language that I should really question what I'm doing, oh, wow. and this had a fairly nefarious reputation, and I'd had a long career in finance and was I sure? That I wanted to go down this path, and I kept mentioning it, and I kept bringing it up as he's, you know, said in in some some podcasts that he's done. And then, um, you know, during during quarantine, uh, we were spending a lot of time together. Couldn't really do much. Um, His his home is a little more comfortable than mine, so we'd hang out at his place and sit by the pool and talk about what was going on in the world. Talk about the Fed going. Bonkers printing money, talk about how shutting the world down um, and the impact that was going to have on the economy. And we talked about how that was impacting our investment theses and what we should do with our personal investments. Um, And, you know, I started talking about Bitcoin again. And um, I think due to the fact that um, we were kind of scratching our heads and frustrated with the government going crazy printing stimulus um, that, uh, you know, for the first time he was really receptive. And instead of politely moving on to the next topic, you know, he said something like, um, tell me more about this Bitcoin stuff. And for the next couple of days, we we talked a lot about Bitcoin. Um, I guess it only took a couple of days to get all of the knowledge in my brain sucked out on Bitcoin. And then he was like, Very politely, like I'm done with you. (laughs) Like, (laughs) point me where else can I learn more about this? Uh, You know, and then, you know, he really. uh, We continue to talk about it every day, but on his own, he really like did a really deep dive, went down the rabbit hole, and it wasn't long before um, he knew much more than I did. And then, um, and then we got him, got him into Bitcoin.
0: Do you think the pandemic just accelerated what governments were planning to do kind of anyways, but it just happened a lot faster?
1: I don't think so. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I think governments are incredibly inept and yeah, people coordination. People don't realize that too. Yeah.
0: There's no coordination. There's no
1: person. <laughs> There's no coordination. Like, yeah. I just think they're not They're not capable of of doing the stuff they want to do. I mean, to think that there's some kind of grand plan that can transcend, you know, one political party to another and one administration to another, I think is, you know, unlikely in my opinion.
0: But we were going on this like path towards anti-globalization during the, uh, like in the early 2000s, I felt like we were going towards this, like to get people on planes, traveling, Borders are going away. The internet is bringing about this massive globalization, but then it like reversed in a very right-wing negative fashion. Uh, and so I was trying to figure out now we're in these years in the 2020s. I feel like the governments were going more towards regulating, you know, regulating the internet and, and regulating and controlling the places where we can talk freely or transmit freely. And really mm-hmm. um, the question I, I wanted to ask you earlier is, why wasn't the internet actually built for money?
1: It's a good question.
0: Um,
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I think that uh, you know, technology's got a way of evolving. That kind of like it's not unlike Bitcoin. You put it out there, and and people kind of take it in the direction they want. Um, you know, it, it seems like the internet really grew out of. I mean, there's a reason that CES takes place at the same time as the AVN Awards in Las Vegas, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, By the way, streaming... I've been to both at the same time. Yeah. That's why <laughs> I literally, I was at, at a booth at CES for my electronics company. And then I actually yeah. went to the AVN Awards in a previous life. So there you go.
1: <laughs> right. But that's what drives technology. I mean, that drove a lot of internet adoption. Oh, I got you. You know, way. for better or worse, streaming video got driven because of pornography. Uh, you know, that's what people yep. wanted. And, you know, I think like the, the money piece came when people were like, well, how do we charge for the porn, you know? And like, it was a big driver. So I think these things, you know, kind of spiral out of control in a good way more quickly. Um, and hopefully that's what happens with, with Bitcoin as well. And I think we're starting to see
0: that. There's a great film called Middlemen, um, where it's about two guys, and it's so perfect how two characters in a, in, in a, in a film can perfectly encapsulate why money over the internet was not a thing. And then it quickly became the thing that made the internet become, become so big that people needed personal computers. And that was two guys who invented for pornography businesses, a way to take credit cards over the internet. And it was literally like manually entering them in through like a phone type of system. You got, everyone has to watch the movie. There will be, or needs to be like a Bitcoin movie similar to that, uh, that perfectly encapsulates that. But you're right. A hundred percent.
1: I'm writing down middlemen.
0: Oh my God. It's right, so good. Bye. It's actually, uh, what's, what's, uh, uh, Luke, Luke Owen. I think it's the, uh, he does. Luke Wilson doesn't yeah. get enough credit for being an awesome actor. And just because he's like, uh, Owen Wilson's brother, I think. Yeah. I'll check it out or whatever. Luke Wilson does it. He's a great actor. It's a great movie. Um, it perfectly explains, you know, to everyone, but uh, I'm curious to know. So so you, so you and Michael have been have been friends for all, for years um before bitcoin how mm-hmm. would you guys i guess war game or talk about or or think about or even you know physically hedge your life mm-hmm. net worth for the future pre bitcoin what would you do
1: Yeah so uh Michael wrote a book called Mobile Wave I don't know if you've
0: no, read I it or read heard it. of
1: it but, but basically at the time it read When he wrote it, it read a little bit like um, almost like fantasy future prediction of what uh, the mobile phone, mobile apps, how they were going to dematerialize everything that we do in our lives and how we were going to live our lives on our phones. And, you know, all this mobile wave, as it's aptly titled, was going to come to fruition. Right. And now it reads like a history book. So Michael has an uncanny ability to not only see how technology is going to impact our lives in the future. And I think he specifically has a gift for. Wow. This book um, is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. But but he really has a gift for um, technology networks and how they're going to evolve and impact us, which if you really think about it, that's what Apple and Google and, you know, social media and all that they're they're big technology networks. And he views Bitcoin through the same lens as a money technology network. If you were going to own a network, the one you'd want to own is the money network, right? Yeah. Not the one that, that corrals your photos. I mean, think about how hard it is to switch away from your iOS. It's a lot harder to switch away from your money, right? So um, you know, he applied the same lens to this. And that's what we used to talk about was kind of this mobile wave And I remember in, like, 2008 or something, um, we were hanging out when he explained to me at great length that Apple had already won. And I didn't get that at all. And he explained it. um, And the analogy is the world now knows he's pretty good at coming up with these awesome analogies right off the cuff. And he said um, something like, you know, yeah, Android may have 80% of the devices in the world but 80% of the money in the world is on the 20% of the devices that Apple has and developers are going to develop for iOS and Apple. And, you know, in his words, the die is already cast and Apple has won. And as a result, you know, we were like investors in Apple. Um, And that's kind of what we talked about and and how these things came to be. And Bitcoin kind of happened in a similar fashion. Um, The only difference on the Bitcoin front is, you know, ninety-nine percent of the time, he's the one, you know, kind of being the catalyst for the conversation. And of course. On this one, I kind of brought up Bitcoin because I found it a little earlier.
0: It's it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. Um, and I love I love kind of how all of our thoughts and beliefs end up falling together. Doesn't matter like uh, uh, that background we come from. Um, so so here, Michael is in buying Bitcoin, buying the dip. Uh, constantly adding it to the balance sheet. Um, d- uh, a dozen, maybe more, uh, publicly traded companies, including one that I'm an investor in, Voyager. Um, Invest Voyager, is, also has yes. tons of Bitcoin on their, ballot sh- their balance sheet. How? So so I've released an episode today called "The Paving the Path to Decentralization. It's actually my personal view with uh, Mike Collier from Foundry, uh, who's a big Bitcoin, one of the bo- biggest Bitcoin miners. It's our view on like, how we rationalize uh, our own ideology, but also, you know, being capitalists, we want to make money too. And where Bitcoin falls into the larger crypto kind of sphere that we're in now. And we believe that all coins and tokens, projects, platforms, protocols, blockchains all fall on like some sort of spectrum of decentralization. Bitcoin being the farthest one along. Bitcoin is the only sovereign money, is the only fully decentralized money. Probably is the only blockchain. I have to check the numbers, but probably the only blockchain that there's no financial incentive that that the 51 percent attack and all the attack vectors cost just egregious amounts of money that it's almost impossible to do. But all you know, there no one realizes that their blockchains getting attacked every single day. Like you can go on mm-hmm. websites, you can look at them. It's like a constant battle and a war. No one thinks everyone thinks that everything is like all hunky dory <laughs> all the time. Yeah. So what's your View Michael's view. I'm not sure if it's together, so maybe if it's different, you guys can separate it. But here he is buying Bitcoin. But you guys are also you have the blockchain investment group. What's your thesis? How do you? So Michael, I won't speak for Michael. Michael
1: is a is a Bitcoin maximalist for sure. So I think decentralization is in many cases a critical feature for a lot of things, and in other cases, I I think that decentralization. Um, is just not that important, right? Um, centralization is more efficient, decentralization, more inefficient, and central- decentralization is really good for safety, security, you know, things like money, um, But for other technologies, centralization is beneficial, in my opinion. And the way I view it, um, and this is not in any way speaking for Michael, this is just my view, is that I view Bitcoin. And all the other digital asset projects completely differently. So I think Bitcoin is a safe haven store of value, um, digital property, digital gold. And I view the rest of the universe as equity venture capital in this new, exciting digital asset space. I don't think they're evil. Um, I, I think that there's going to be great wealth created in that area, but they're not going after what I feel Bitcoin has already won. And Bitcoin may be simple and it may be boring to some, but I think if people were to look at the space that Bitcoin is going after, they'd realize like, you know, it's going to replace a hundred trillion dollars of sovereign debt. It's going to replace, you know, a hundred trillion dollars of, you know, currency to a degree. Um, There's no reason for the two sides to be fighting or at such odds. I don't I don't think they hurt each other's value propositions. Yeah.
0: I agree. I agree with that completely. Yo sovereign debt is very specific. So every time El Salvador is buying Bitcoin, they're not buying American debt. Think about that for a second. Yeah. So what's yeah. That- yeah, right? That's I mean <laughs>
1: That's like that's the future uh,
0: for Bitcoin. I mean, you said it right there. If if other countries that's my follow big, the same thing, that's standard. my big
1: fear. That's my
0: big fear. Why we don't
1: get it anywhere near there that that soon? Why uh, is that a fear?
0: Isn't that like a good end game for Bitcoin? I mean, what's the worst case, best case scenario for you? I try to just be positive, Charlie. Yeah. Um Well, I'm I'm trying to figure out why. No, I
1: think that would be a bad I, thing. I am. I am. I am optimistic, I am positive, the majority of my net worth is in Bitcoin. Like, I couldn't be more bullish, right? Uh, That said, I think that governments are not powerless and that they can impair our progress. Yes. And I think that if there were to ever come a day when governments could not issue debt to fund their countries, because people were putting all their money in Bitcoin, that would bring out, you know, the most aggressive form of government that we can envision. You'd see and, confiscation
0: of Bitcoin. You'd see, you'd see confiscation of Bitcoin. That's what you'd see. Same thing would happen with gold. When we couldn't issue yeah. debt off of gold anymore, we confiscated all the gold because all we all were buying it as a hedge against. That's that, it's going to happen again.
1: I I understand the libertarian mantras of like it's unconfiscatable. They can't take it. There's nothing they can do. We're outside the system. I think that's a little naive. Government can be very effective in how they um, make your life miserable and get what they want if they can get if they're if they're threatened enough. I mean, I I do think that Bitcoin it's is not, not fun a currency. To s- it's not yeah, fun
0: to war game I, this because it's, it's scary. Like, uh, it is, I think that idea of like a total crypto anarchy or, you know, like anarcho capitalism. I don't know if that's for me. I don't know if I want to live in a world with full anarchy. I like my local government. I'm friends with all my yeah. commissioners, my mayor here. I see him have coffee with him later. Like they're all great people. The civic duty is important. I don't know why civic duty became this like anti democratic thing to like be a representative for your friends and family and your loved ones for the better good of the society that you live in. It makes no sense. I think it just got corrupted and people are, I agree with you.
1: I, I think that, so my hope for Bitcoin is that, um, we're perceived as a digital property, digital gold. And I like the digital gold analogy because gold sucks. It's been dead for a long time. It, doesn't perform. It offers no utility whatsoever. And it's got roughly $11 trillion, $10 trillion worth of value. And I think if um, Bitcoin is positioned as a digital gold and digital property, that it's not threatening to governments. And it gives us a runway to get to $5, $10 $5, 10000000000000 trillion, and at $250,000 or $500,000 per Bitcoin, I think different things start to happen. At that point, you've got lots of direct and indirect stakeholders. Um, pretty much every member of Congress is going to have some of their wealth in Bitcoin at that point. Pension funds, endowment funds, holders in publicly traded companies, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, we've got real representation. Um, at all levels of government. I mean, at that point, we could even have a president in the United States that holds Bitcoin, right? So um, I would like to fight these battles when we get to that stage.
0: Sorry to interrupt your regular scheduled programming, but I wanted to tell you guys that if you're using PancakeSwap, Uniswap, DYDX, SushiSwap, you're doing it wrong. You need to be using PowerSwap because PowerSwap is a user interface decentralized smart contract platform that sits on top of all of these and when you go to paraswap or untoldstories.link forward slash paraswap because they're refunding your gas if you go there then you'll be able to on top of ethereum Binance smart chain and polygon look for the best prices for your tokens and swap and do everything in one predefined transaction on chain instead of having to do the approval to this token to that token to do all these different things Paraswap does it all for you. It's decentralized. They just released their API version five that you can see everything. It's all open source. Very cool stuff. Untoldstories.link forward slash Paraswap. If you're using any of the other decentralized protocols, you're doing it wrong because you need to be using the routing, beautiful ParaSwap routing system. And it's fully decentralized too. It's gorgeous. Talk to you guys soon. I like that. I like that. You, I never, I've never thought about that before. As companies start to hold Bitcoin on their balance sheets and businesses earn income on it, other hedge funds and other funds of funds will be investing in those. And most of Congress invests in things. You know, you're, it's they like exactly to make money. Right. I never thought about that. I've never, never. I, I honestly, that is, uh, that is brilliant. That's going to become Thanks. a snippet, the two-minute snippet right there. You, do, you must do podcasts a lot because that's actually really great. This is
1: my, sec, this is my second one. So.
0: Um, how do high net worth individuals invest differently than the average person? I, I don't know where I personally fit in, but I'm trying to like... Uh, a very wealthy person told me that if you think like a wealthy person, invest like a wealthy person, you'll become wealthy. So how do wealthy people invest differently than you and I? Like diversifying assets, there's all these. I'm learning that they're very smart in owning. Michael's pretty well.
1: Michael's pretty wealthy, and he is not diversified. So I would say that diversification is. You know, Michael likes to say that diversification is selling the winners to buy the losers. That said, um, a lot of the investors that I deal with are um, a little older, and you know they're kind of boomers plus and their general perception is, hey, this Bitcoin and digital asset and blockchain stuff is a thing. I know that I want exposure to it. I don't fully understand it. I'm not comfortable putting all my money in it, but my kids and my grandkids and whoever are yelling at me and I turn on the TV and look at the newspaper and all I see is Bitcoin and I feel like I need to be involved here somewhere. They don't want to know about private keys. They don't want to know about you know a hardware device and the all of that is just very unappealing to most of them. And what they want is a way to invest in a space um, that is safe and secure and feels like what they've been doing their whole lives. That's why I started uh, you know, my fund Bitcoin Investment Group, where we custody at Fidelity Digital Assets. People pay 1% a year. That's it. It's for high net worth individuals and institutions. I just buy and hold Bitcoin for them. It's that simple and they get a monthly statement from us and they get a K1 at the end of the year that they give their accountant. And if they ever want their Bitcoin, you know, we'll send them Bitcoin to a wallet address, you know, if they want to exit and that's how they want to leave, or we'll convert it back to U.S. dollars for them. And it's just a very nice, direct way for them to hold Bitcoin.
0: You know, it's uh, it's not only that, it's not only a direct and we could talk about, I'm, I'm curious to know like what these kind of uh, structured debt products could look like. But if borrowing against your Bitcoin is definitely very simple nowadays. Uh, yep. Actually, one of my sponsors, Ledin.io, we're giving away 50 bucks in Bitcoin to anyone who opens up their first loan. If they go to, I'm going to plug untoldstories.link forward slash L-E-D-N. Great, great way. You put your deposit, your Bitcoin. There's a custodial relationship there. Mm-hmm. And then you can borrow against it. The problem is it's still very new, Bitcoin lending. And, and, and even how it all works and... The relationship between the, me and then the, whoever is custodializing it, it's not fully vetted yet. In fact, that's what the SEC is actually trying to figure out right now with stable right. coins. Like, what's that relationship? So what you do is you actually give people a way to, for, if someone, let's just say they have a million dollars worth of Bitcoin at the, uh, uh, at the fund, they could theoretically go and take that and borrow against it to buy a house in traditional structured product methods.
1: Yeah, I guess they could. They they could show their assets to a bank, and the bank they might haircut their Bitcoin substantially. Also, Fidelity Digital Assets does offer uh, borrowing against your Bitcoin directly. It's not something that we extend through the fund. Um, I think it's a great thing. It's a borrowing against your Bitcoin is a hell of a lot better than selling your Bitcoin, um, and and I advocate for borrowing against it as opposed to selling it. That said, it's not something that we offer directly through the firm, but you could you could show it as part of your assets and borrow against it. Yeah, I think you know I made a mistake uh the bitcoin that I bought in uh December of two thousand and thirteen I sold um and I still don't have as much Bitcoin as I sold at that time. Oh my god! Neither and do I.
0: Gee, I'll never own that much Bitcoin I've owned over the years ever.
1: That makes me feel a lot better because oh my you're god. the ultimate OG. So
0: I struggle with it. I have a certain amount, and I'm like, just that's. It's just never going to change. Like I'll buy. Never. I constantly buy a little bit, but yeah, it's a different world now. I I know, but the thing is, I think you really only need to own 0. One three three seven Bitcoin, and you know when Bitcoin is. That's a the number. Dollars, that's 0. 0.01337. My but guess may, is you have a little more than that. It's a little bit. Well, you want to have actually one. <laughs> I used to say five Bitcoin, but I think it's one. I've been reading a lot. I've been reading a lot of Hal Finney and Satoshi's writings a lot lately. I do it every year. I read, I just read them all. I read a lot of the writings that 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 I've had in you know my my because ten years ago when I got in, involved in Bitcoin, I was a lot more like. Uh, Free speaking of my thoughts and beliefs probably will put me in jail, but um, <laughs> I definitely like try to understand things a lot better in today's world.
1: Yeah. I, I I'm with, I mean, look, those lessons that we learned um, while painful are invaluable. Um, I think it should say something to, to anyone watching that you and I genuinely we will never sell any of the Bitcoin that we own. We're only no. trying to get more. And i I mean, I know, look, I know there are a lot of people with Bitcoin out there that probably have less Bitcoin than you and I. And I still wake up feeling uneasy that I don't have enough, not for greed purposes, just for like unpredictability, inflation yeah. purposes, you know, like I want enough money to be able to live my life. And it scares the hell out of me that the price of apparel could go up by 15% in one year. I mean, I could give a shit about what I wear, obviously, but um the, the point is like in one year you can devalue my money by like more than 15%. Like I'd like to be around for a couple more years. It could disappear pretty quickly. What's enough?
0: For the Bitcoin network to succeed, where like you're talking about the five trillion dollar number, even higher. Uh, take over that money supply, the M1. I think Hal wrote that Bitcoin would need to be at a one million dollar price per Bitcoin. And I've, I to me, if Bitcoin doesn't hit a million dollars in my lifetime, then I've considered it a failed project.
1: You know, I I use the same verbiage all the time, and people get very mad at me when I say stuff like that. It's
0: um, an experiment.
1: It's a, that's the it's exact a, a word I use. I, I I still think we're in the experiment stage, um, and that. You know, that implies risk, right? And a lot of people don't like to hear that there's any potential risk here. Um, But there is, right? I mean, we're half the size of Google. Bitcoin is half the size of Google right now. Um, We're decentralized and you can't shut it off and all that, but we are vulnerable and we are not where we need to be yet. And I agree with you. I I think if we don't see a million dollars in my lifetime, It will have not gone the way that I hoped and expected.
0: Speaking of our lifetimes, I'm a little bit nervous because people who never previously talked about money before, I'm hearing the words like hyperinflation. I know it's 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 we're so far away from that. However, in our lifetimes, we've seen other countries, you know, first world Argentina, no problem. Go through this year over year over year and they accept it. Venezuela, Venezuela. Venezuela. But I'm talking about like, like a country where, where you can go and travel and stay in a nice hotel. Like you're not doing that in Venezuela right now, but Argentina is a seemingly, I actually went there with, with my wife. It's a great, great place. Buenos awesome. Aires is amazing. La BitConf, ama- one of the first Bitcoin conferences every year in Argentina. Well, now they move to Uruguay and they move around Chile, I think too. Um, what is this hype? When do we, you know, 15% a year yeah. apparel? That's, that seems kind of hyper to me. What is real hyperinflation and is it something that we should be worried about? I think,
1: well, yes, it is something we should be worried about. I think nobody really knows how it unfolds um, because, you know, the analogy I like to use is the U.S. is still like the best house in a bad neighborhood, right? So what happens to the best house in a bad neighborhood, you know, as the neighborhood, as the entire neighborhood goes downhill, does that best house Continue to kind of hold its value, or does it bleed value too? And I think what happens is it starts to bleed value when there's an alternative. You know, Bitcoin is really a different neighborhood. Um, and so, yeah, there there are those of us in first world countries who, for whom, um, putting your money into Bitcoin is a way to preserve your purchasing power, maintain your wealth. But there are billions of people around the world for whom it's a lot more dire they're they're not banked they have no way to save money at all the little bit of money they make which is barely enough for them to you know get by although they do, they could potentially save they just physically have nowhere to put the money if they're living in a township in South Africa and they go to put it like you know in their little shanty it's going to get stolen it's not going to be there so they literally can't save the money but they do have mobile phones and If their money was Bitcoin and they could save that Bitcoin, they might actually be able to pull themselves out of poverty a little bit and improve their quality of life. And there are billions of people, literally billions of people um, on the planet for whom Bitcoin really is hope. And, you know, I I love that Jack focuses on this aspect a lot.
0: Almost exclusively. Paxful, and, Ray Youssef, also from Paxful, exclusively. Yeah. He's in Africa, all I mean, their biggest revenue is is Rwanda, Nigeria, money remittances, is exactly what you talk yeah. about.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm on the investment side. I, I like making money. I, I, there's a paradigm shift where we're switching from one store value to another. And I think we'll outpace inflation and, and do better than even just. You know, yeah. maintaining our purchasing power. But, but really, the story you know, for those billions of people, and I think what ultimately might lead to Bitcoin's real success is that aspect. You think about some of your ultra-liberal politicians who are always saying how much they champion the rights of the unbanked, underbanked, and, and underserved part of the population. This is their hope. Like you're, you printing money to give them a stimulus is not their hope. This
0: is their hope. Printing stimulus is such a short-term band-aid that not only it doesn't band-aid, it makes things worse in the future. It's like a short-term, Correct. make it better for a long-term, make it so much worse. And the precedent it set was so bad. It's and the re- fact that stimulus was done on a, from a, by a Republican and a Democratic president, Democrat president well, it's gonna, is worse. Charlie, it's going to be done by everybody because That's the problem.
1: what stimulus is, is stimulus is a way for government officials to say, not on my watch. We're, right? it's, like it's, it's the kick the can down the road. It does two things right, for politicians. Number one, it says, not on my watch. We're not going to bite the bullet and do the hard things with, with me as president, with me as senator, whatever it is. And The other thing it does is when you're giving money to the majority of the population, Like politicians are not stupid. They've realized like, if you say to people, we're going to give you money, they're going to vote for you. And if you say, I'm going to give you more money than the other guy, they're going to vote for you.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. In fact, when I was in, in university studying economics, I remember my professor explaining, this is exactly why Venezuela became a failed state because a decade or two ago, the president just started, you know, he, uh, Hugo Chavez just started offering free money to people, free money. And I yep. was saying to myself, wow, that makes so much sense. You offer free money to the, to the lowest of populations. The whole, you just create a negative spiral downturn and yeah. it's the end of a country. And now we're doing it here in America. It just doesn't make yeah. sense to me. If you, if you rob Peter oh. to pay Paul, you'll always have Paul's support,
1: right?
0: I know. I mean, <sighs> But then the opposite side of it was saying that here we were in this coronavirus thing. But at the end of the day, the only reason we needed stimulus is because we shut down the freaking economies. We shut down everything for months and months and months. Even the most they liberal did. governors, and most liberal presidents shut down for at least two months. I mean, I, that's almost everybody
1: capitulated. I admire Sweden.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I actually do. They'll, they'll in Florida, love it in down Florida. There. Yeah.
1: It's funny when you were talking about Florida at the beginning, yes, there's the monetary aspect and the taxation aspect that's appealing of Florida. And, but I never thought one of the appeals for me personally of Florida would be my civil rights. Um, but I was just in New York city about a week ago, seeing some friends hanging out and just the, the feeling there and the, like the contrast between New York and Florida. I go to a restaurant in New York They won't let me in the restaurant without showing proof of vaccination, then checking my driver's license to make sure that the proof of vaccination that I'm showing them is in fact me. And then I come to Florida and it's like, I walk into a store, I walk into a restaurant without a mask. It's like, no COVID here.
0: Don't you miss waking up in the morning and going to a coffee shop in your sweatpants when you're still sleeping? You don't have to (laughs) think about anything. You can't do that anymore. You got to worry about the mask and getting dry everything now. Like in Florida, we you can, can do that. it in, here. Yeah, I was at a grocery store. I was like, "It's so early. I don't even know what I'm doing right now. I just need milk." And they I was like, "It's so nice. It's so nice yeah. you know, to just be in Publix and, and not have to." You can't worry do about that anything. in New York. No, you,
1: you truly can't do that in New York. Like,
0: I mean, but, but isn't people, that and you ready? That's freedom. Our vaccination rates, and this is such a bad metric. You're gonna punch me for for using this. But our, vaccine, yeah. our vaccination rates in Florida are, if not average, above average to the rest of the country. So how can you say that forcing people to get vaccines are working when Floridians, who are actually we, they, the rest of the country, thinks of us as stupid, are we're yeah. doing our own research, but because we have the opportunity to? Thank you very much. And I'm vaccinated. I actually got COVID. I still can't smell a year later. It's kind of crazy. Oh, I'm going to see a doctor sucks. today. No, it's okay. Life is good because there's yeah. so many worse things that could be in life. I sat in prison. Five six years ago, so that was True. worse. <laughs> that was Life worse, is I good, imagined. my friend. Yeah, Eric, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories. You have been a pleasure. You told me before the show that you don't do podcasts before, but this is probably one of my best podcasts that I've had all month. Thanks for giving me the time. Come on, Oh,
1: you're so kind. Thanks Dude, for uh, you thanks gave for like having me like ten snippets. A
0: of course, you're <laughs> welcome. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. And um, um, I'm gonna talk to you about some stuff offline. So I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you later. <laughs>